Well, if you're like me, you've probably figured out, if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, that prayer is not a real simple thing for us personally. But sometimes kids can help us with things and the way they word things. One little girl said it this way, Bless my mommy and daddy, and dear God, take good care of yourself. If anything happens to you, we're sunk. And dear God, little Debbie said, please send a new baby for my mommy. The new baby you sent last week cries too much. (laughs) And I like this one from little Jimmy. Dear God, who did you make smarter, boys or girls? My sister and I really want to know. I like this one. Little Angela says, Dear God, this is my prayer. Could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. (laughs) Well, friends, these are simple things, but prayer is a complex thing for us. To spend time with the Almighty God, to spend quiet time alone from all other distractions as Jesus encouraged us to do, is not as simple as it looks on the surface, is it? Well, you're in good company if you feel that way because about two years after Jesus said these things on the Sermon on the Mount with his disciples around him and a large crowd of people, some of those same disciples came back and said, can you teach us again how to pray? We're having a hard time with this. They're watching Jesus who would go off on a mountainside for all night for 12 hours and pray or he'd go away privately and pray and they're like, what, what is he talking about? How can he pray that long? We pray for a few minutes and then we run out of things to say. How does he do that? And I think we wish we could make this simple. We want everything quick and easy and streamlined and we wish we could do something to make this easier. Well, possibly, maybe, it might be possible, technology might help us. It looks like Apple might have come up with something that might help us with this. Take a look at the screens. A phone that plays music, connects to the internet, and displays HD movies. You thought it couldn't get any better. Then we added a garage door opener, TV remote, paper shredder, handheld vacuum, and scale. You thought you'd seen it all. You didn't think we could add a cheese grater, an electric air pump, a lip balm dispenser, a beard and nose hair trimmer, or a taser. You never thought you'd be performing LASIK surgery on yourself, fishing, or rotisserieing a chicken. What could we possibly add to a phone that can launch itself into suborbital space flight, predict the weather, detect the smell of fear, and indicate who your soulmate will be with 97% accuracy? How could it possibly get any better? Well, it has. Our latest accessory is Intercessory. A gentle electrical jolt reminds you to pray without ceasing. If you're unsure of who or what to pray for, Just give it a shake and let random apps of kindness pick for you. Or, if you just don't have time, use one of our pre-recorded prayers for all occasions. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. Thy phone. Solving life's dilemmas. One 3G prayer at a time. Well, I don't think it's really that simple. I wish it could be that easy as an app on our iPhone to do this for us. But the fact is, God himself, through the words of Jesus, has given to us the equivalent of a backstage pass to meet with him, to be alone with him. We gather and worship, and it's like the big concert, but then he says, I want to meet with you personally. Yes, we pray together in times of worship like this and other prayer settings. We gather in Bible studies to pray together. But Jesus, when asked about prayer, says, come alone. Get alone with God. He actually wants to meet you personally. Well, he knows your name, he knows your fingerprints, he knows your DNA, he knows every aspect of your life. And the fact is, he's making us 
a special time on his calendar for us every moment. And I want you to hear this. You can have as much of God's time as you want. Do you realize that? He puts no limitation. And any of the teaching Jesus gives us about prayer, he never says, well, God will fit you in three weeks from Thursday for about five minutes. He says, come. Come and talk to me. Make a special time and I will meet you. The Father who sees in secret will meet you there. One definition of prayer that I really love says this, it's not listing through, it's listening to. It's not begging, but surrendering. It's more than conversation, it's communion. And we are not informing God, he is transforming us. I want to share about what I think a couple of common barriers to our prayer lives really going forward into something deep and meaningful for us are and help find solutions from the scripture to break through those places. Because I think deep down all of us want to have a deeper prayer life, but we find it so difficult and so challenging that we oftentimes give up. So Jesus gave us three very specific steps here in Matthew chapter 6 in these few verses we've just read. Number one, he says, don't pray for other people to see. Pray for God to see. Bible says right in this passage, God sees what you do in secret. And way too often we think about it, that's the bad stuff we're doing. Well, he sees that too, by the way. But he also sees when you come alone when no one else sees it. He sees when you're praying out to him, crying out to him, even silent prayers, even in the sanctuary this morning, maybe some of you are crying out in a silent way. He hears you. He sees all of that. And he wants to meet you in that very private place. But secondly, he gives a very key principle, we'll talk some length about this, is to shut out all other distractions and close the door behind you. That's really not very simple to do, is it? Bombarded with communication at every moment of every day from all kinds of sources. I remember a time when there was one source of distraction in the house and it was never for me. Years ago, I grew up, there was one phone on the wall in our kitchen and it had a dial on it. And every once in a while, it would ring four times, and then it would stop ringing. Because there wasn't an answering machine, there weren't voicemail, and there was once in a while, you'd get a call from somebody. There weren't things like emails, and text messages, and Facebook messages, and all the other dozens of ways that we communicate, it seems, electronically, that occupy our time, absorb our attention. To get fully alone with God is, take some doing, we're going to talk some more about that. And thirdly, once we get alone, we're going to talk about how we can open up and be real with a God who really is interested in us. Oswald Chambers put it this way, the meaning of prayer is that we get a hold of God, not the answers. Corey Ten Boom said it this way so profoundly, the godly woman that we know many of her writings says, don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man or person is powerful on their knees. So I'm going to encourage you as a response to God's invitation is if you have one of these devices with you today, maybe you just have a different kind of device called a calendar book, is that we take a few moments this very morning to think about actually scheduling time with God. Because I know with my busy schedule and the many demands upon my time that if I don't schedule time with God in a specific way, it won't happen. Someone with a desperate prayer need as a pastor will find me. Someone in crisis will find me. And I'm accessible 24-7 most of the time for that. But Jesus says, make a time for God. 
Get alone with them when you can get completely alone. So I'm encouraging you to know that there actually is an app on these devices that will help, whatever kind it is, iPhone or others, that will actually help your prayer life. It's called your calendar app. And you can have it do this simple thing as to put God time, not FaceTime, God time on your schedule, whatever length of time you think you want to spend with him. Remember, he's got all the time in the world for you. How much time do you want to spend with God? Put it in your calendar, and there's this nice feature called the repeat feature on your calendar app, isn't there? Repeat for seven days, and I'm encouraging us to start with a week. To carve out some time, honestly look at our calendar going forward, and then up your calendar book and figure out where you can cut, carve out a certain amount of time, whatever you determine with God, and put it on there, and, and then set it up if you use an electronic device to send a 15-minute reminder ahead of time. Everything else I do, my life comes through to me that way. It reminds me so I can stay on top of things. How about staying on top of our prayer life by using the technology to actually help us, help us to do that? So that's the first step, is to actually figure that time out. The second thing is the where of that. Where can we actually find a place and time where we will be completely uninterrupted? That might not be in your house where the television's blaring on one end, the dog's barking, the cat's running around, there's birds, whatever you got. It may not be in your house. It may be someplace else. Maybe there isn't a place there. For me, it's in my car. I can get in my car, shut the door, I can go park someplace that nobody knows where I am, and I can turn off my phone and not choose not to listen to anything that's coming through on there, and I can be alone with God. The great thing about my car is it can take me places I actually like to pray, like by water by lakes in this area. There's a nice forest preserve over in this neck of the woods just west of us here. Brook Forest Subdivision has a nice waterway in there. You can get near enough to park there. Uh, one of my favorite places down by Grau Mill down here where you can park down by this waterfall and just be in the surrounding of that beautiful sound and the water flowing by and that's at the York Tavern. If you see my car there, I'm not in the tavern, I'm there praying just so just kind of clarify what I'm doing there. I go there frequently because I pass by there and I'm, I'm drawn to that. But I can shut out the whole world and everything for a period of time that I've designated to do that with God. And that helps. So we want to be intelligent. Get it on our schedule and think about the where. And I'm going to encourage one other thought on this, is to give God the time of day when you are at your very best. Not those last couple minutes, which often we'll do, right before we go to sleep. Well, I'm going to pray before I go to bed. And then we get to bed and it's like, dear Lord, we're out, Right? Um, I suspect our relationships of all kinds wouldn't go on very long if that's the time we gave to our spouses or to our children or our best friends. I do know of some people who, while they're on a date with somebody the first date, the other person fell asleep during the date at the dinner table. That, would, that relationship didn't go very far. When are you at your best? I know when that is for me, and that's the time I want to give to God, is when I'm the most awake, I have the most energy that I can present myself before him in that way. And that might mean you've had your first couple of cups of coffee. I don't know what that is for you, but figure out the time, the place, and when you're at your best. And I'm pretty confident if you'll just do that for a week, you'll never turn back. You'll never want to turn back again because you'll experience something new and special in your life that will transform your relationship with God. So once you've got the time, the place, and the, the particulars, what are we going to say? How are we going to get past those first few phrases? How are we going to get past what we go through and where we get hung up so often? Well, 17th century theologian named Francois Fenelon said it this way so well. Tell God all that is in your heart. As one unloads one's hearts, its pleasures and pains to a dear friend. Tell him your troubles, that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys, that he may sober them. Tell him your longings that he may purify them. 
Tell him your dislikes, that he may help you conquer them. Talk to him about your temptations, that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart, that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved tastes for evil, your instability. Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, how vanity tempts you to be insincere, how pride disguises you to yourself and others. And if you thus pour out all your weaknesses, needs, and troubles to God, there will never be any lack of what to say. Do you hear the spirit of that? Is get real with God. He can handle all of your deepest emotions. He can handle all of your deepest frustrations. He can handle all of what's going on inside of you. And in fact, he wants you to open that up to him. Ask God the hard questions that maybe ended your regular communication with him at some point. When something too difficult, too painful, too overwhelming, when you prayed your guts out that something would be resolved, someone would be healed, someone would be restored, a job that you applied for, your child applied for, something that you really wanted and it seemed like God didn't come through when you prayed and you say, that's it, I can't take this anymore, I just can't keep on with my prayer life. Open that up to him. And here's a little hint I've learned about God. There's a big difference between questioning God and asking God questions. Okay? I've tried both. The asking God questions humbly works a lot better than questioning God. Shaking the fist at him saying, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you, what's right? Why didn't you do this? That's kind of questioning God. And I've learned many years ago, God gets real silent when I talk to him that way. In fact, he gets real quiet. And he waits for me to come out the other way and say, God, help me understand. I don't have your mind. I can't see the end from the beginning. I don't have the perspective on anything close to what you have. So there's stuff about something that happened in my life I just don't get. Can you help me understand? That's asking a question, and he will answer that. He may say things to you like, you can't understand this right now, but someday you will. I remember after a particularly long trial in my life many years ago when it just seemed like I couldn't get, well, basically God to do what I wanted him to do. Um, and I couldn't understand why the things were happening. Finally, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and the Father said, Son, I did what I had to. And I understood. He knows more. He's more powerful. He's got a sovereign plan. And what I thought had to happen or should happen or needed to come about was absolutely not his purpose. You're never going to change God, okay? Some of you probably know someone that thinks they're perfect and are right all the time, right? If they think they're right all the time. And of course, that drives you a little bit nuts, doesn't it, if you're around somebody like that at any length of time. The fact is, God is right all the time. God is perfect, okay? So naturally, for us as flawed beings trying to relate with a perfect being, it's humbling to begin with, and it's a challenge. God, how can I have a meaningful relationship with you when all I'm talking about is what's wrong with me? And God would say, let's talk about that, but let's get past that. I accept you as you are. I've cleansed you by my son's blood. I want a relationship with you despite that difference, is what God would say to us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones nailed it this way when he said, there is nothing that tells the truth about the Christian, us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. And then he says this, everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Helping the poor, 
going to a Bible study, going to do church service, leading in worship, singing, whatever it is, is easier than prayer. So you're in good company, myself included, if you're still struggling with having a meaningful, deep prayer walk with the Lord. It's difficult business, but we can grow and develop in it. The second thing Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, a couple chapters, just one chapter later in chapter 7, and this is an invitation to all of us. Once we've gotten to that place of having a regular time with God, what are we supposed to do? Matthew chapter 7 says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And here's the key phrase he says. He says, For everyone who asks, receives. Not the holy people, not the pastors, not the spiritual leaders, not the Mama Maggies of the world or the Mother Teresas or the Pope or whoever someone thinks that Billy Graham is special and God listens to just those kinds of people. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Everyone who comes to God and asks, that includes all of us, receives. The one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he helps us understand this. He says, which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? And if you then, though you are evil compared to God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, I'm a grandparent now, and we tried not to spoil our kids too much, but we took great joy in buying Christmas presents and birthday presents just to see the joy that was unearned by our kids, but just because we loved them. Now that we've got grandkids, there's no hesitation to spoil them completely. My wife has lots of fun shopping and finding, oh, little Henry needs this, or little Caroline needs this, and we love to see their excitement. A gift is a gift. It's unearned. And what Jesus is saying, if you feel unworthy of God answering your prayers, if you feel you undeserve, you're right. You don't deserve it. You you don't earn this right. None of us deserve to be saved. None of us deserve to go to heaven because of someone else's grace. It's a gift. And he says, the Father loves to give good gifts. He takes joy in seeing you blessed when he answers your prayer. He is motivated to answer your prayers. He wants you to ask for more things, is what he's saying. So friends, I want you to start thinking about asking some God-sized prayers. We sometimes, in our limited understanding of him, first of all, in our limited faith, start saying, well, you know, all this other stuff's impossible, but I'll ask God for this. Well, the contrary is true because Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. If you only believe, he's ready to do more than you can ask or think, Ephesians says to us. So we need to start praying some bigger prayers that only God could do and open up the understanding of what God might do for us. One of those occasions for me happened years ago not long after I'd come to Christ and been saved, and I was going, had a regular Wednesday night Bible study I attended, and uh, I was in school at the time, and one of my courses was a psychology class in my applied behavioral tri- science training in those days, and the f- professor had given us out uh, an essay question test for our final exam. He gave us 12 essay questions on key topics we'd gone through in the course about two weeks in advance of the final exam and said, I'm going to pick two of these and put them on the final exam knowing that, of course, we had to study all 12 of them and get a real depth of knowledge. So I had scheduled some time the night before the exam, that Wednesday night, and there was this Bible study, and I was going to study for the exam from about 9.30 till maybe midnight. I had about two and a half hours, and I was going to go through the material. Well, I got to the Bible study, and sure enough, there was a young woman in crisis that was there, 
and I spent some time praying with her, and she was suicidal. And for the next two and a half, three hours till after midnight, I spent time with her getting her the help that she needed. And by God's grace, probably was part of God's using me to save her life. Got home by what, 1 o'clock in the morning. Remember the exams at, at 8 in the morning, the next morning. And I had that sheet of 12 questions. And I said, God, I don't have much time to study this, but you know which two are on that test tomorrow. Can you please tell me? Remember a God-sized question? And God spoke to me. It might have been an audible voice. He said, 2 and 10. So I spent an hour from 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. studying questions 2 and 10 and wrote out everything I needed and I was ready. I went in and got an A-plus on the test. That was the two questions the next morning they were on the test for number 2 and 10. I don't recommend that as a study technique, okay? This is a special circumstance, but I was desperate and I needed something. Some people say, just pray for what you need. I, I wanted this too, okay? Um, my faith wavered that morning as I got up at about 7 in the morning, just a little bit. Did I really hear God say 10? Maybe that was 12. So I studied a little on 12, but I focused on the two and went, and those were the ones that were on the exam. We don't know what God might do until we ask him. So don't limit him by the little asking. Ask regularly. Ask a lot. Ask big things. Ask things that you really don't know what he'll do or not. Leave some room for God to say yes. Don't say, put words in God's mouth that he's never said. He opens it up, says, ask me and let me answer because I love to give good gifts to my children. The next step in this process, Jesus gives us another teaching because I think the greatest struggle all of us face, more than just feeling undeserved and unworthy, is like, how does this really work in the heavenly kingdom? How does God hear prayers? And, and I know we heard Jesus' prayers, but you know, I really don't believe he'll do it for me because our experience tells us, or we believe it hasn't worked before. So he introduces one more step in teaching on prayer in his last conversation with his disciples at the Last Supper in John chapter 14 where he says in those verses 12 through 14, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And then the key phrase, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, or that the Son might bring glory to the Father. And then he repeats it. When Jesus repeats something, he says it for a reason. He says it twice, back to back. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So one of the things we need to understand is that God has given us the power of attorney to use Jesus' name in heaven and on earth. And there is tremendous power. It's the name above every name. Instead of just closing our prayers with, in Jesus' name, amen, kind of running through that, think of who he is. Think of what that name means in the ears of the Father. And Jesus said, I know you're not going to believe this because it sounds extraordinary, but I want you to start using my name in heaven. Jesus authorized all of us to do that and bring your prayers to the Father's throne in Jesus' name. And watch what happens. He promises, not in your name, not in Rick Lyman's name, not in somebody else's name, but come to the throne of God in the one who is perfect, the one who is purely righteous, the one who lived a perfect life, and the Father will respond. Not long after that final exam story I shared with you a couple years later, a um, dear woman in our church in those days had grown terminally ill and was pretty much on her, was on her deathbed. 
and was just immobilized and just laying there. She was conscious, but semi-conscious. And so a couple, bunch of us went over there to pray for about two hours. We just prayed and prayed and prayed. We prayed our guts out, prayed everything we could for her. And then everyone else left, and I was there in the room, and I was just kneeling by her bedside with my head down on the bed. Just now I'm praying for myself, God, what do I do? What do I say? What else can I say? What else can I pray here? And I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me, and he said these words to me. He said, take her by the hand and say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and be healed. And my immediate response was that I buried my head further down into the bed. And I said, I can't say that. I can't do that. What if it doesn't work? What am I supposed to say? And I, as I'm hiding, trying to crawl almost under the bed, thinking God's really here and I don't want to do this, something, must have been an angel, my head was picked up and my eyes were opened and I was staring her in the face and she just looked at me like, what? And I had to say something. So I said exactly what the Holy Spirit prompted right out of this passage. Took her by the hand and she recovered and lived on. You and I don't know what God might do if we'll give him some room to operate in that name of Jesus. It wasn't my holiness. It wasn't my spirituality. It was a simple act of obedience to something Jesus had given. He says, ask me for anything. Any of you do this and let me work in my name. She's not the only one I've prayed with over the years that's been healed of terminal cancer. There's one walking in our midst here in, in this church that came here a few years ago who's completely free of the disease because God has worked. Let's open up our understanding and let God work in ways that he has chosen to do and let our prayer lives become that much more dramatic. One final thought, Princeton professor Brian Blount said these alarming words when it comes to prayer. Prayer is not about getting what we want or even what we oftentimes are sure is right for those around us. Prayer is about unleashing the frightening, unstable, uncontrollable power of God. We're talking about plugging into and connecting to the source of all power in the universe in prayer to whom nothing is too difficult. So friends, as you consider your life going forward, let's bring our time with God into the center of it as a priority event. And let's start praying in a deeper way. And I'm convinced if we do this for a week, we'll probably never stop. So I encourage and challenge you to do that in these coming days. God has time for you on his schedule. I encourage us all to make time for him on us, on ours. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you understand our struggles. You understand our feelings of unworthiness. You, in fact, know more about us than we know about ourselves. God, I pray for each of us, including myself here this morning. Help us to pray. Teach us to pray that simple request that your disciples brought you. Teach us to pray in a way that will be meaningful for you. Pray in a way that will be life-changing for us. God, I pray in these coming days that you'll help us blaze a path through our schedules that will open us up to time with you in a way that we've maybe never done to that degree before. For those of us who have, God, I pray that we'll go deeper, give more of our time, more of our schedule, more of our best to you in that way and allow you to move through us profoundly. We pray these things in that mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, Rick, for that wonderful message this morning. And good morning to all of you. 
It is a blessing to be here with you this morning, and as we prepare to take up the offering here today, I wanted just a moment of personal time with you to talk about one of the dimensions of our ministry that enfleshes the passion that our church has to see so many other people come to find that intimate, prayerful relationship with God that Rick's been talking about. As you know, because you walk in across that bridgeway every day or every week, you see emblazoned on the cornerstone of our church the words of Jesus into all the world. Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to go out into all the world and share the good news with all creation. And at Christ Church, we have really taken that commission very seriously through the years. Uh, it's why we have some 90 mission partners around the globe and around the corner that we invest in. We pray for uh, because we just so desperately want to see others come to a saving knowledge, a life-transforming experience of God in their life. Uh, but it's also the reason why we have had, since very early in our church's life, a media ministry. Uh, early on, Dr. DeKreiter and many of the other leaders of the church saw the power of electronic communications growing in our society. And they resolved to, to be a voice to make sure there was a winsome, thoughtful Christian voice in the midst of the secular media and to use the technology of our time uh, to transmit the good news to as many people as possible. I want to just give you a quick window into where that ministry stands right now because we don't talk about it very openly here too often, but I think you'll be encouraged to hear this. There are three major portions of our media ministry today. We do a radio and television broadcast every single Sunday morning. We're on uh, secular radio and secular television because we want to be speaking to people that may not normally hear a Christian message. We broadcast on WGN Radio at 5.30 in the morning on Sundays, on WPWR Channel 8 at 8.30 on Sunday mornings, and we've recently added a Christian station broadcast on TLN at 9 a.m. Sunday mornings. That ministry reaches out to a huge number of people. I want you to picture the kind of stadiums that you're seeing in the national sporting events of our time. And then picture that stadium filled up many times over. And that is the reach of the television and radio broadcast ministry of Christ Church. Radio ministry alone has 45,000 listeners every week across a several state region. We hear from people all around who are connected to the gospel ministry of Christ Church through that uh, radio and television outreach. We also offer a, uh, a online media library that allows people access to Christian sermons, Bible studies, testimonies, and special events on demand 24 hours a day, seven days a, a week. And we estimate now that, that more than 4,000 people have downloaded the uh, Christ Church of Oakbrook app for their phone or for their tablet device. Uh, that that um, we know that 15,000 times a year that app is used by somebody. Uh, is launched, that app's been launched. We know that there, we estimate there are about 19,000 um, uh, points of access or times of access to our online media library as people look for resources for, their, for Christian living and encouragement uh, in their life. And then finally, we offer a live stream, a worship live stream ministry that is a broadcast of our entire worship service. Uh, that service is 
this service is right now being broadcast. The average church in America has approximately 100 people in weekend attendance. And on worship live stream alone, we have three times the average church uh, connected to our worship services remotely uh, at any given, uh, on any given weekend. Some 320 folks and 17,000 times a year that um, worship live stream ministry is accessed. Now those numbers are dizzying numbers and we're not fundamentally about numbers, we're about individuals. And so let me just flip the screen if I might, might suggest and just try and give you, put a little human face on the impact of this particular ministry. We know we've got college kids that are tuning in, that are away from home, that haven't found a church, or who simply want to stay connected with us, and they use our, our handheld app, or they go online through our worship live stream to maintain their Christian uh, nurture through the ministry of our church. There are thousands of shut-ins, people who are uh, no longer able to get out to a church because of, of physical mobility issues or because of lack of transportation, and they write us letters telling us about the impact that this ministry has. If you look at the insert we've given you today, you'll see that there are some testimonies recorded on that sheet that will give you some sense of that. There are people languishing in prison cells who are connecting to Christ church. Uh, there are uh, farmers plowing their fields in Indiana up very early in the morning who we hear from because they're out there plowing and God's word is coming to them at 530 uh, to, in, in this encouraging way. We hear from clergy, other pastors. I, I have a relationship with some nuns and a priest who are also up early in the morning getting ready to feed and care for their flock, but they connect to Christ church first and then that equips them, they feel, they say, to go forward and to minister in their own settings. I've been stopped by cab drivers along the way who, who, who hear the voice and, and say, are you the person that's on the... And, and, and I, I usually say, well, do you like the messages? And if they say yes, I say, well, that's me. <laughs> we hear from travelers all the time who are able to stay connected to our ministry as they go. I got a text recently. Somebody mailed me a photograph. It was of a... Of a large screen TV in a hotel room in Mexico and a family gathered around it and they said in the text, just want you to know we're with you, we're staying up with the series as we're on vacation down here. Our snowbirds frequently speak to us about the value of this media ministry. Our mission partners talk about their use of that resource library that we provide online and on demand There's, uh, over the internet. But what I wanted to think about this morning are the number of people who are in positions of great extremity and suffering who so depend upon this broadcast. One of them I've pictured for you in the photograph on the screen. That's Larry Ludi lying in that hospital bed. Normally, you see Larry Ludi wearing a blue robe and assisting me in worship here. But several months ago, Larry went in for surgery. It was... Uh, it led to a variety of complications, and he's been fighting a life and death battle for many, many weeks now. And his wife, Sherry, has shared with me that one of the greatest encouragements to her personally and to Larry when he's come out of uh, some of the drug-induced states they've had to put him in for his healing, uh, one of the greatest encouragements has been the chance to watch, as that photograph suggests, the worship services of Christ Church. Uh, on their computer or on the television, uh, and to stay connected to the hope of God and the people of God 
through the power of the media ministry. As the ushers come forward today to take up our offering, I just want to say thank you to you for this. Uh, probably more than anybody else because I'm the frequent voice and face of this ministry. I, I, I'm spoken to by people that talk about the significance of it. Significant portion of every new member class is here because they first were reached by God through the touch of the media ministry and then they came eventually and found a congregation of wonderful people with whom to share life. Uh, it would not be possible without those little check marks you make on the envelopes, the offering envelopes that say media fund or when you write in, in the memo line of your check, media fund, or when you use the push pay a handheld app and you scroll down to the media fund line. It's those gifts that are making this possible. Long ago, and some of you were part of this, a large group of people owned the importance of this outreach. But as the years have gone by, that number has dwindled down. As people have moved to Florida and heaven, there are fewer and fewer people that are actually supporting it. And that massive outreach I just described is really only supported by about 150 plus households. We can't continue to offer this ministry unless we can expand that base. In fact, this summer, there's a, there's a very real possibility that we will need to drop our television broadcast, the Sunday morning secular television broadcast, and simply rely on the Christian broadcast which reach, reaches many fewer people and frankly, people that are already on the Christian journey and, and not the ones that we were trying to reach through this missionary outreach. And so I just want you to know, if you've never realized it before, how valuable would be your investment in this particular ministry so that we can keep that broadcast going and the influence of the many other forms of our media ministry in the days to come. And as the ushers now do come forward to receive our tithes and offerings, let me say thank you again on behalf of Larry and the many thousands of others who even this very moment are worshiping with us because of the media ministry that you support. Thank you.